And so in Hebrews 12, there's a, there's a passage that if you've been around church for a while, you're probably familiar with it. And if you haven't been around church, that's, that's great. Um, but it's, it is one that is fairly known, and we're going to zero in on it a little bit today. So let's look at Hebrews 12, just the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so in the first verse, uh, the the writer of Hebrews, as we aren't totally sure who who wrote it, uh, but that but it's still very you know credible writing, of course. The cloud of witnesses, and then um, talks about running with endurance the race that is set before us. The imagery here is is very intentional. It is like a. Like if you had, uh, if you're at the Coliseum or you're at the Olympics or you're at Tiger Stadium or something like that, there is there is a competition happening on the field. There's a race being run, and there is a, an arena of people who are there watching what's going on. But but it's not like it's not like those other things exactly, uh, because there's a connection between the spectators and the participants, because the spectators. Uh, used to be participants. The cloud of witnesses that is being referenced there is pointing back to the chapter before it. Um, Hebrews 11 has been nicknamed the Hall of Faith, where the writer goes through and just like person after person after person uh, just lays out all of these heroes of the faith who who trusted the Lord uh, over their circumstances. They lived by faith. They did not rely on sight or feelings or anything else. They were obedient. And the whole chapter highlights uh, their faith and how much that honored the Lord and his reward to them. And is a a tremendous chapter uh, in the Bible. And so the cloud of witnesses, like the the spectators in, in the arena who are watching the race, they are, it's not just any old armchair quarterbacks. These are people who have run the race themselves. And they, like, in other words, heaven is cheering on those of us who are currently, like, running the race in terms of living this life of faith. And that's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing image when you think about it. Like, if you were, if you were competing in the Olympic trials, and the entire stadium was full of former Olympic athletes, their cheers would mean something different, right? Like if, if, if the LSU football team was playing and the whole stadium was full of veteran, former LSU players, their cheers would hit you differently, right? They, they want you to succeed because they know, they know how hard it is. They know what it costs you to get there. They understand the, the highs and the lows of what's going on. And they, they are championing you onward. That's what is being described here. That as you and I are, are now, ha- we have our own race, our own like um, 
journey of faith, trying to live with trust in the character and the goodness of God as our leader, uh, and trying to push aside all the things that distract us from that, um, heaven is like cheering us on. Heaven's not judging us on. Heaven's not disapproving of us on. Heaven wants us to run the race. And they're cheering us onward. So that's the, that's the picture that's being painted. And every Christian that's ever read those verses, it applies to you and to me. And so as you and I are going through whatever it is that we're going through right now on this day, Heaven is on your side. Somehow, the saints who have gone ahead of us are pulling for us. And what what would they what would they cry out to us? Look to Jesus. That's where the verse goes, right? Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. That that would be the chant of the crowd. Look to Jesus. Why? Well, he's the founder. He's the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who carved out the way. He's the artist. He. Pick your analogy. Up to you. He's the founder of our faith. He's the one at the front. Not only is he the founder, but it says he's the perfecter as well. He's, he's the one who knows how to do it. That yes, heaven is cheering us on, but there's only one voice in heaven who's done it. Perfectly. And he's cheering the loudest. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is no no greater uh, voice from heaven spurring you on than the one who's seated at the right hand. He's the one who's run the race perfectly, without sin, Taking our sin, the very sin in verse 1 that says that every weight and sin which clings so closely, he freed us from that stuff bogging us down as we run the race. Right? We know enough about racing, right? With Between track and swimming, like we know they're constantly trying to figure out how to be more aerodynamic and make sure there's no drag and that kind of stuff affecting, like slowing them down. And the, the sin and the weight that was clinging so closely, Jesus has freed us, so that doesn't have to be a, an issue for us anymore. Now, it can be, right? Well, you should not have a choice in the matter, and now we, we have a choice. We, we can keep that stuff attached to us, or we can lay those things down. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like He, he has made that our reality And so as heaven cheers us on, and heaven is saying, look to Jesus. Look at what he has done and look at how he has done it. And here we are running the race. And it really, like we have to be 
careful that we're thinking of this passage correctly, that if the idea is like, how do I run the race effectively? It's easy to be drawn toward verse one, where it says the way to, where, and think the way to do that is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's how you run the race most effectively. And yes, that is important. But the real key comes down to the, the first three words in verse two, looking to Jesus. That was the theme of this last week in terms of focus. That's the key to running the race. When you look to Jesus, you realize that he has freed you from the, from the sin and the weight that clings so closely. Okay. Like when you're looking at him, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. That's my reality. Those things don't have to be an issue for me anymore. Your focus shouldn't be on the sin and the weight. It should be on Jesus and what he has done with them. Let him put those things into perspective. So it's all about looking to Jesus. That's what our kids learned about every morning. Uh, from opening celebration, closing celebration, and everything in between, it was all about that. That's what the, the, all the Bible studies were pointing to that, and these songs were pointing to that, and, and even the crafts and the rec activity, everything is all like swirling together, this idea of looking to Jesus. And so what, is, what does that mean, though? Well, the, the word, the Greek word for looking um, is aphoro, aphoreo, something, I don't know. Not Greek, sorry. This is what it means, though. It means to view with undivided attention by looking away from everything else. It's not just glance over at Jesus or just look at him and whatever. It's undivided attention because you've looked away from everything else and you're just right there. Joe Bennett, who preached last Sunday... Um, it was our camp camp pastor, and the closing of the first day, he uh, he talked about this, and I'm just basically borrowing uh, borrowing all of his uh, stuff because I, it just stuck with me the whole week. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, he talked about the the use of focal points when it comes to classic art. Okay, so here's some here's some examples. So this is uh, so let's, let's, let's look at the Mona Lisa for a second, Gracie. This is Mona Lisa. Y'all familiar? This is the Mona Lisa. Uh, very, very, very famous. Now, this next one is called Starry Night. Probably seen this one before. Uh, different, different point. Maybe you try to recreate it at some point because you think, "Oh, I can do that," and then you realize that you can't do that. Right. Uh, the third one that Joe used, uh, the the Last Supper. All of these very famous, all these very valuable. Um, so let's 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 take all the, let's take them down, and I want to ask you a question. We're going to look at the Mona Lisa again in a second. But if could you tell me what's in the background of the Mona Lisa? Anybody know? Anybody? Let's look at it. This is the Mona Lisa. Behind her. I know this is not like a great, great, not high quality that kind of thing. But if you look over on the left side, that, that's a uh, like a river or canal kind of thing that's flowing through some mountains down into a big lake back there with some tree looking things. Maybe the same kind of thing on the other side. Uh, she's also sitting in a chair, her, her arms propped on a chair arm. But you know. Like, who cares what's in the background, right? Because 
When you look at the Mona Lisa, what are you looking at? You're looking at this right here. You're looking at those eyes. Yes, right. You're looking at her eyes. You're looking at the smile. And then you're like, I don't know if it's a smile or not. You know, There's something captivating, but you're drawn to the face. And that's on purpose. It's kind of irrelevant what's in the background, right? He did it on purpose. He also painted that on a slab of wood. Did y'all know that? I just found that out this, this week. Okay. Now, before we show you Starry Night, do you know what's happening beneath the Starry Night? Do you, do you recall it? There's some sort of something on the left side. Let's look at it. Beneath the Starry Night, you know there's a village down there? Like that's a steeple. And there's houses and buildings. And there's whatever this thing is over here on the left. Like it's no, is that someone's hair? Is that like a castle thing? We don't really know. But you know what? Yeah, it could be a mountain. It might be a mountain. But no one pays attention to that. You know why? Because you're drawn to the starry night. You're drawn to the to the swirls and like the whatever you call the brush strokes and all the different techniques that are there. That is what you're trying to recreate. If you were to go to like some quirks and canvas event or whatever it may be and try to recreate this, you would not be like, yeah, but look how great my village is, right? You're trying to get you're trying to get the stars right. Now, before we look at the, the Last Supper, uh, are there twelve disciples present? Or are there 11 because Judas has already left to go betray? Did you notice when we saw it the first time? Okay, let's look. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay, they're all there. But you didn't necessarily notice that the first time when you looked at it, right? Did you notice that uh, you can see some of their feet? And that they appear to have like sawhorses that they're eating on this with this table and... That there's some some sort of something through the window in the background, um, but those aren't windows on the side. We're not real sure what those is, and it's a pretty cool ceiling there. But you don't notice that the first time you look at the Lord's Supper, because that's not the focal point. The focal point of Mona Lisa is her face, and the focal point of Starry Night are the stars, and the focal point of the Last Supper is Jesus. And Job put up this next slide to show us ex- exactly why this is the case. Um, and how this was done on purpose by these lines. So this is obviously a cleaned, a cleaned up version of this. But they've gone in and shown, like, look how much strategy goes into drawing your eye very naturally right to Jesus. As the focal point of this painting. That's, that's looking to Jesus right there. That if your life is a painting, that's what your life is supposed to be doing. That's what my life is supposed to be doing. That, that if, if I want to run the race of living by faith and not by sight, that Jesus has helped me by, by enduring the cross, freeing me from sin that can be laid aside. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what I need to do is I need my whole life to be converging upon him as my focal point. I need everything in life to be pointing to him. And 
That is something that I thought about, that picture, that image. I thought about it all week long. And it was such, such a good, like, assessment, you know? Like, it was kind of sobering to be like, hmm, does my life do that? Like, are all the things I'm striving, like, do I have that kind of focus? And does my life look like that painting? To where everything in my life is ultimately drawing people to not really see the other stuff. Is it like the Mona Lisa that has a really great picture in the background that nobody nobody even noticed? It's not even important. Starry night. Could, anything could have been. It doesn't really matter. The Lord suffered. Does it matter if Jesus, Judas is in the picture or not? not? Not really because Jesus is at the middle of it. And that's a focused life right there. And so if your life is a painting, what's the focal point? Like, what's the focal point of your, of your life? What's at the center of it? What is everything pointing to? What are you pointing yourself to? Perfect. I hope so. And I think that the, a part of what is being said here is that you can set your focus and fix your eyes on Jesus. I think that's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a part of that is what it's saying. Like it is, it is possible now for your focus, your undivided attention, because you've looked away from everything else, your focal point can be Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. He has made that a possible reality for you. The inverse is also a possibility, though. Your focal point can be not Jesus as well. We all know that from experience. Now, who determines where the focal point is? You do. You determine where your focal point is for your life. Which is so encouraging, because if you, if you get to the point where you begin to realize What's at the center of, like, what, like the focal point of my life is not Jesus, it's something else. That can be adjusted. Like, it's not a fixed situation. Like, it, it is completely, uh, like, something that can be altered and the focus can get to the right place. If you realize that you're running your race and your focal point is on yourself or is on your accomplishments or, a, or on your failures, the focal point is on a, a hobby. Their focal point is on your bank account. The focal point is this, 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 this. I could keep listing things. When you realize, man, the focus of, is like in the complete wrong part of the painting. I've got to get it back to Jesus. You, you can do that. Like that's the great news about the gospel is that as possible for us. And that's what we kept telling your kids all week long. Like you can pray. You can hear from God. You can talk to other people about what you believe. You, the, the God is revealing things to you to remind you of how important you are and how good He is. And like we're telling them all these kinds of things, and the same things come our way as well. And so when we think about it in these ways, it's kind of putting this verse into motion. We're like, here, here, here we are, we're running our race. Heaven is cheering us on. And the chant that's happening over and over and over is just look 
Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the one who started this. He's the one who's going to finish it. He's the one that did it perfectly. He's the one that will empower you to do it just the same way that he did it. Just stay focused on him. It might also be helpful to think, like subdivide your life a little bit. What's the, what's the focal point of, if you're married, what's the focal point of your marriage? What is your marriage pointing to? If you're a parent, the way that you parent, what's the focal point of that? What's the focal point of your friendships? What's the focal point of your career? If you're a small business owner, what's the focal point of your small business? If, you, uh, if you're a student, what's the focal point of being a student? But you think about the, this, this same kind of concept, though. What's it all, what's it all like, what's, what's everything else, like, pointing to? To where the details, the details are, they're there, and they're, they're fine. But the most important thing is right where someone's eye is drawn. I think it's worth our time to think about in those terms. Maybe, maybe to break your life into different, different relationships, different responsibilities, different things that you're trying to steward and really say, what is this pointing to? What is the, what is the way I'm approaching this point to? Is it, is it showing people the glory and the beauty of Jesus? The hope of the gospel? The fact that because Jesus is alive, hope is always alive. Like is, is that what's being drawn there? It's like earlier when I was talking about there, there's the, the situation with Lily. Like we're, we're like, what does this situation point to? The prayer is that it would point to this, this goodness of God in saving her and saving anyone else who wants to be saved in there. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what we're saying is how can the focus go from maybe being misplaced to being like this where everything is just zeroing right in? Well, we have a say in that. You have a say in that. And all the different things about your life, whether you subdivide it or whatever you think of, of your life as like each line pointing, 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 however it is helpful to you, I think the main thing is to... To hear the chant of heaven. You know, we can, we can take a camera lens and you can manipulate that lens to focus it on whatever you want. The thing about art like this is that these artists have found a way to make your eye do that naturally. To make your attention draw right to it. A while back, I was listening to uh, listening to AFR. A lot of you guys listen to listen. That's a sports show uh, on ESPN Radio in the afternoons, and um, every Friday, a guy named Ryan Terrio is a uh, guest on there. Ryan's grandmother, Miss Roma, is one of our covenant members, and Miss Roma. Uh, and he was he he was a major league baseball player for a number of years, and uh, grew up here in the in the neighborhood. And he was talking about pitchers and and how as a batter how you learn to watch 
watch the ball as soon as you can see it, how to figure out what the pitcher's fingers are doing with the ball that will determine uh, uh, what kind of pitch is coming your way. And so you can tell the difference between a fastball and a curveball, let's say, that as soon as you can see what his finger, what his hand is doing on the ball, you can tell what's coming your way. And then you make the adjustments to know what you need to do in order to hit it. It was, really, it was fascinating to listen to a, a big leaguer talk in that kind of detail. And uh, it was just really, I was like, man, this is really good radio right here. Uh, because it's really relevant to me. Um, but it was just really, really interesting. And I started thinking, like, when you watch, you watch Major League Baseball, how quickly that happens. And the pitchers are so good at keeping that concealed until the last minute. Uh, last minute. The last like nanosecond, right? It all happens so quickly. I'm thinking, like, how, how do you learn to focus your eyes on something that's that far away and is so minute? And then to do the calculations in your head, like to get it together enough to be like, a curveball is coming my way, and then to know how to hit. Like, it's just incredible to me. And I thought about it, I was like, well, that's probably why they practice so much, you know? Like, they don't learn to do that by, like, driving home from work, listening to it on the radio, and they're like, okay, now I know how to hit a major league curveball, right? They learned it by stepping into the batter's box and having pitchers throw baseballs at them. They learned, they have learned how to, like, what to watch for by doing it over and over and over and over And even at the highest level, they still get in there and they still practice and practice and practice and practice. Because they are training themselves. They're not trying to hit a curveball. They're training themselves to hit a curveball. So that when it's game time and they step in to do it, it's just a natural thing because they've been practicing this since they were little kids. That, that to me, is helpful in thinking about how in the world am I, is my life supposed to focus on Jesus? Am I supposed to focus and everything in my life supposed to focus? That seems like such a difficult thing because life is so hard and crazy and whatever it may be. You see, a, a part of looking to Jesus is not only looking at the fact that he, like, he's seated at the right hand of God and has freed us from sin, having to like, cling to us and hinder us. It's also looking to Jesus and the way that he lived his life. And so if the question, in, in, in me closing here, if it's like, so how do, you, how do you get that undivided attention? How do you get a life that converges in that kind of way? The answer in this text is look to Jesus. But it's not just look to him and be like, can you help me? Which is a great prayer. But it's also, you study how he did it. How did, how did he have undivided attention? Well, we see him, we see him uh, like study and memorize and quote the scriptures and apply them to his situation. That's going to be a part of it. We see him stepping out by himself to pray, getting up early in the morning or times at night where he would go off by himself to spend time with the Father. That's going to be a part of it. We see rest being a part of it. He was a faithful observer of the Sabbath. We even see him taking naps sometimes. Hello, come on. Like that is an important thing. Like he took care of himself. We see him embracing those times of solitude, and we also see him embracing times of 
of community. We see him serving other people. We see him praying the prayers that other people are afraid to pray. We see him asking for wisdom. We see him being dependent on the Spirit. We see him running the race, meaning living by faith and not by sight. We have to look to him to see how to do it, and we just imitate him. If you think it's going to happen apart from those same things that worked for him, then like you're delusional. It's going to be a part of it. Which is why the, the programming, or for lack of a better term, of, uh, of our, our church is, has to be built around looking to Jesus and trying to do the things that he did. So we're going to be in the scriptures, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to encourage you to, like, to be reminded that Sabbath is not some Old Testament thing only, like that rest is a part of what we do, that solitude is good for us, and community is good for us. And, and like, we're, we're going to engage in these things at a corporate level, and then in a smaller group, and then like all the way down to one-on-one type stuff, all the way down to just you and the Lord. All of those things, we're, we're, we're trying to make sure that everything we do, every time we're together, you are more zeroed in on Jesus than when you walked in. Even if you walked in super zeroed in on him. We're going to keep refining that lens because we're, we're all about training ourselves to do that. It's not about just trying harder. In 1 Timothy 4, he says to train yourselves for godliness. Because it's of value, because it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. And then say, try, try to be focused, try to be godly, try to do this. He's like, no, train yourself. And so the things that we're doing, whether it's something like Camp Living Hope, which is just a concentrated group of, of like church rhythms for the kids, right? Or if it's, our, if, it, if it's our weekly Sunday things or summer community groups or spiritual mentoring or any of the kind of things that we're doing, all of this stuff falls under this category of can, can we train for this? Can we be a part of helping one another stay focused? Can we be a part of the, the cloud of witnesses that's cheering one another on? Can I remind you to look to Jesus and can you remind me to look to Jesus? Can we, can we work toward an individual and a corporate life that looks like this? Where people don't really notice as much what we do for a living or what we look like. What our personalities are, our strengths and weaknesses, or our Enneagram number, or whatever. Those are all peripheral things. And people look at us and they're like, I'm, I'm drawn to, I'm drawn to something through your life, but it's not you. That to me would be, uh, to me that would be success, right? That people could say, uh, the focal point of your life is not you. I can't manufacture that on my own. I got to have God's help to do that. But Jesus has shown us the pathway to that. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us, right? We've spent weeks talking about this. The Spirit dwells within us to empower our efforts. Now I'll close with this. I've, I've said it before, um, but in terms of what is, is helpful for me, and it may not be helpful for you, but it might be, um, so the subway system in New York City, right? They're just train cars sitting on two rails. 
And there's a third rail. That's where the power comes in. And so in my mind, as I'm trying to think about what what does it look like to run the race, uh, I like to cheat. Instead of running it, I like to like just ride the rail car in it faster, more efficient. But the race is going to involve those two rails. One rail, the practices of Jesus, Bible, prayer, community, rest, um, uh, solitude, like all all those kinds of things. The practices of Jesus is one rail. The doing that with other believers is the other rail. You don't do these things alone. You do them with others. But the, the rail car just sits there if there's no power. And the third rail, that's the Holy Spirit coming in and empowering the disciplines and the community to move us forward in what we're trying to do. It's always going to look like that. If you want your life to be focused... It would, and we look at the life of Christ, it seems like that's exactly what like, kept him going all the way to where he was obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. The practices, the people of God, and the empowerment of the Spirit makes it all go. And so if you want your life to be focused, if you want the focal point of your life to look like that classic work of art, Heaven is in agreement with you. Heaven wants that for you. Jesus wants that for you. I want that for you. I hope you want that for me. Let's continue to let God do that among us. And so however you need to process this or think about this, now the kids aren't the only ones thinking about the word focus. Now it's for all of us. They don't think God does something for one group that he's not also doing for another group. And so there we go. Um, Let's sing and pray And just sort of let God continue to speak to us in our remaining time together. Let's stand as I pray for us. Lord, I'm thankful for that that imagery and for the way that Joe brought that... uh, that picture of the Last Supper with those lines. For some reason that just grabbed onto me and... I hope that that's maybe something that we can tuck away. Maybe that's helpful. I love the fact that everything in that painting is really just pointing to Jesus. Like how simple. But yet I'm sure that that is what all of us desire. What all of us who are who are yours, that's what we want set of our lives. So none of us can can do that on our own. We have to have your help. We're very capable of the focal point drifting to ourselves or to other things. Um, We don't need your help for that. We're we're good at getting the, the things focused on the wrong stuff, but in order to look to Jesus, we have to have your help. I'm so thankful that you have given us your spirit to do that very thing, that you have given us the helper and not left us on our own to figure it out. And so as we think about that imagery and we bring ourselves before you and really just, would you, not only in these moments, but just going forward, would you you just show us what's out of focus for us or what's zeroed in on the wrong things? 
you give us the faith that it takes in order to bring it back to where it's supposed to be? And we'd follow you into your own practices, that we would do that alongside others, and that we would not be self-reliant, but we would be dependent on the empowerment of your spirit to move things forward for us. We're so thankful that heaven cheers us on because they've been there and they understand, but Jesus, no, no, there's nothing like you cheering us on. You're really the one that's saying, hey, look at me. Just look at me. So as we sing or pray or just do whatever we need to do in these closing moments, I pray that your will would be done uh, in this room as it is in heaven.